Hello and welcome to yet another journal episode of the In Common podcast. My name is Frank van Laarhoven. You are about to listen to a conversation that I have had with Samuel Adeyanke about his recent IJC publication that is entitled Drivers of Biodiversity Conservation in Sacred Groves, a comparative study of three sacred groves in southwest Nigeria. Samuel co-authored this paper together with uh, Janet Bolken, Jonathan uh, Onyekwelu, Guillaume Peterson St. Laurent, Robert Kozak, Terry Sunderland and Bernd Stiem. What I particularly like about Sam's paper is the framing of sacred groves um, as what he calls commons with a difference. Biodiversity conservation is not the objective, but merely the unintended but lucky side effect of sacred groves. And in their research, uh, Sam and his team unravel how governance arrangements uh, evolved that assign varying roles to communities and government entities respectively, and that subsequently contributed to both success, but also to possible future failure of sacred groves as drivers of biodiversity conservation. All in all, I would say that Sam provides yet another prime example of the fact that a common denominator of the commons is hard to get by. Context matters and panacea, as we all know, do not exist. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview as much as I have enjoyed having it. Uh, Sam, a warm welcome on our show. Uh, for context, you are in Vancouver, Canada. I am in Utrecht, the Netherlands. For me, it's 6 p.m.-ish, and for you, the working day is just about to start. And I am delighted to, to speak with you uh, today about your recent IJC contribution. It's an article on sacred groves in Nigeria. Biodiversity conservation appears to be an unintended, uh, but very fortunate byproduct, I would say, of sacred groves. You and your co-authors uh, show that in great detail. But you also hint at uh, threats in the form of, for example, disappearing uh, beliefs and taboos uh, due to the spread of Islam and Christianity and subsequently the gradual uh, conversion of sacred groves into land that is used for agricultural and residential purposes instead. You, you also point at threats in the forms of uh, mistrust and tensions between communities and the government. Uh, mm. And also, and, and paradoxically, I may add, the success of sacred groves, uh, for example, as uh, religious uh, festival grounds, they turn out to be attractive uh, tourist destination with considerable economic benefits. That success may possibly uh, also undermine the positive effects that sacred groves can have on biodiversity. All in all, commons with a difference, as you point out, sacred groves have been dubbed. And that is something that I would love to learn more about. Uh, and therefore, I am happy to talk with you today, Sam. We'll get to talk about your work on sacred groves in a minute. But first, I would like to invite you to talk a little bit about yourself. Can you tell me in a little bit more detail about your background? How did you become the researcher, the academic that you are today? What shaped your interests? What or who uh, should be mentioned as quintessential in the journey that has had you arriving at where you currently are or where you would like to see yourself heading towards you? Can you elaborate a little bit on that, uh, Sam? Thank you very much, Frank, for having me um, today. Uh, just like you mentioned, it's a Friday morning here in Vancouver. 
I'm really delighted to be on the podcast. Uh, my name is Samuel Adenyoju. I'm a four-year doctoral fellow at um, the University of British Columbia, where I'm pursuing my PhD in forestry. Um, my journey started as a forester. Uh, I was a forestry student at the, uh, at the Federal University of Technology at Kure, Nigeria, uh, where I pursued a Bachelor's of Technology degree in forestry and wood technology. Uh, I backed a first-class honors degree from Nigeria, and I later proceeded to the University of British Columbia in Vancouver for my Master's of Science degree in forestry, which was actually funded by the MasterCard Foundation. Uh, so as you mentioned, like who have been, who are those people who have been you know, supportive in my journey? I think um, you know, the MasterCard Foundation fully funding my two years plus of masters at, at University of British Columbia, UBC, uh, was very, very phenomenal in terms of um, how I've grown in my you know, research abilities and experiences so far. And it's the work from my master's thesis that was published with the um, International Journal of the Commons. And that's why I'm also on this platform today. And so I give um, credence to the MasterCard for uh, you know, funding my studies at UBC. Yeah. While at UBC, I interacted with a lot, a lot of people, a lot of scholars. I actually trained under Dr. Janet Bokan, who is an anthropologist and associate professor at the University of British Columbia. Uh, also, you know, my co-authors on the article are people whom you know I, I was privileged to work with and learn from uh, during my master's uh, degree research, but also even proud to that, which I think I will get onto in um, later questions about how. I was able to, you know, connect back with my previous university in Nigeria to be able to have this, you know, collaborative uh, sort of research, which, you know, gave back to the secretary paper as well. Uh, so my master's research, you know, examined, just like you, you know, elaborately um, explained, examined the extent to which uh, socioeconomic and religious and cultural benefits contribute to biodiversity conservation in secretary groups that has different skills of governance in Southwest Nigeria. Uh, so my research, my um, research, master's research looked at a group that had the UNESCO designation. Um, okay. Look at the group that is, you know, recognized nationally. We call them national monuments. Mm -hmm. That is, the Nigerian government have put a protective status on those um, landscapes or or resorts or monuments, so to speak. And I yep. look at somewhat more local cultural sites which may not have, you know, gained national prominence in Nigeria. And to yeah. see how these different skills of governance impact the way these um, secret groups are managed. And how, in some ways, those kind of skills of government also contributes to the, the cost, customary norms that are practiced in those places, as well as the economic um, activities around you know, ecotourism, how those uh, forms of interventions contribute to the local livelihoods, as well as conservation in those places. So that was what I was looking at. Uh, during my master's, but now I've somewhat, you know, you know, taking a shift. I would say I'm mm -hmm. currently doing my PhD at UBC, and I'm, you know, focusing on an entirely different landscape and country. Now I'm looking at uh, the impact of livelihood intervention strategies on rural communities in uh, participating in community-based natural resource management programs in northern Ghana. So yeah. I'm looking at how NGOs and non-government organizations and funding organizations implement livelihood-focused intervention be it ecotourism, beekeeping, livestock. Um, also sometimes uh, market-based conservation approaches as well are used in uh, some parts of Ghana. So that is what uh, the impact of this effectiveness of 
you know, some of these intervention, you know, millions of you know dollars have been devoted to them. How are these you know changing the livelihood um, situation of people on the ground in northern Ghana? That's what I'm hoping to unpack uh, yeah. through my and looking at issues of you know access and benefits, uh, equity, you know, transparency, you know, sort sort of looking at right-based um, approaches. That's um, great. Are people's rights being recognized as these interventions are being um, deployed on the ground in northern Ghana. Also, That's... I'm privileged to be trained uh, by or trained under Dr. Terry Sunderland, who's a professor of tropical forestry at the University of British Columbia as well. Um, yeah, that's that's my journey so far. Uh, I've been at UBC now for um, over four years. I did my master's uh, for about um, two years and a half, I think. And now I'm finishing my first year, the first year of my PhD at UBC. Yeah, I, I feel that uh, that I will be hearing from you also beyond this podcast. Uh, uh, among other things, the the work of NGOs is at the heart of the the, the, the research that I'm doing myself. So that's that's mm-hmm. very interesting to hear. In in this paper that we are discussing, that we are using as an excuse to have this uh, conversation today, you you, you use uh, it it has a common uh, signature signature. You, you and and your colleagues approach sacred groves as a as a shared resource. So generally speaking, how, how central would you say that commons scholarship? Uh, is to your work, to how you look at and frame the issues that you work on? Is it just this IJC publication that we talk about today that leans on commons ideas and perspective? Or is it something that is at the heart or maybe even at uh, at, at the heart of, uh, of, of, of of most or everything that you do as a researcher? What what does common scholarship mean to you? Where where does it sit? Yeah, I think the, the commons concept itself provides a useful lens to frame and analyze research on uh, natural resource management across the globe, especially in Africa. For instance, in the places I've worked, be it in Southwest Nigeria or in Northern Ghana, um, issues of property rights and land tenure are key issues um, surrounding who have access to different resources. And in these places, there are varying property regimes from state-owned property to common property to customary property rights, all functioning together uh, at the same time. And that's when we talk about, you know, pluralism, you know, the government, the state has its own rules and laws, but also customary um, um, authorities or institutions also function alongside mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, so that in some ways, you know, drive the way I frame my research. But in this particular context, we didn't actually get into the, uh, the commons concept early enough um, We because just like uh, you mentioned in the introduction and based on research, uh, very few, there's very few scholarship that you know, integrate you know, the commons concept into sacred groups research. Um, I think one of the, you know, some of the earliest ones would be the ones you know, published Roots 2011, published in Biology Conservation, uh, mm-hmm. that talks about, um, that talks about uh, the sacred commons, conflicts and solutions of resource management in sacred uh, natural sites. That's one of the earliest papers that kind of interlink uh, the commons theory uh, with sacred groups research. And mm-hmm. so, um, because there is few scholarship, we did not at the onset, while working on the project, look at the research from that perspective. But as we submitted to International, International Journal of Commons, based on you know, reviewers' comments, uh, we were able to you know dig 
deeper into engaging with the common scholarships around, you know, the Austrian Tree School of Common Pool Resources, how do they interlink with sector groups? And it's uh, when we talk about sector groups as a separate uh, with a difference, or commons with a difference rather, that term, you know, comes actually from a publication from Samakov and Becker's 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in that particular publication, um, which focused on um, Kyrgyzstan, I think that's, that's the place, and it's also a publication uh, uh, of the International Journal of Commons, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. really provided a really uh, in-depth baseline for us to be able to um, also, you know, so to speak, in some ways replicate the same scholarship in our work in secret groups in Southwest Nigeria. Uh, so not all, the, so to speak, not all the principles outlined in um, Ostrom's principle uh, necessarily, you know, apply to secular groups. Uh, we have, we've said that some of the principles that may be lacking would be, you know, the excludability and subtractability, which means the ease with which others can be kept from using the resource um, might not necessarily be possible because, you know, different people from different places who may come, ecotourism, we talk about people who have different sorts of beliefs may come and there might not be a uh, possibility to exclude those people uh, from those resources. And in terms of subtractability, which means that one person's use of this resource diminishes the amount available to others. Um, in terms of the local beliefs suggest that the more people revere a sacred site, the stronger it, the power of that site, more people mm -hmm go to a site, more people, you know, believe that, okay, for instance, in the case of Oshun Shogu Secret Groups, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site in Southwest Nigeria, people uh, come to pray at the river. The river is the, the goddess that is being worshipped. People come to pray for, you know, for wealth, uh, to, to bear children, to get pregnant. People who have different, you know, forms of illness come also uh, to pray to the goddess and believe they would get you. So, you know, as more people come, in some ways, the sacred group itself gains more power. So those are some of the um, uh, the concepts from the, the, the commons literature or the commons principles that we're able to you know, blend together uh, within our article. Uh, so just like I mentioned at the onset, that wasn't the, the, the old frame, but at the end, that was kind of the, the way we leaned to at the end of the publication. So I, I want to, in some ways, give credence to the reviewers of the International Journal of Commons who you know, worked alongside us and encouraged us to be able to uh, provide this kind of scholarship. Yeah, you can imagine that as an editor, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that uh, the review process for you uh, helped you to sharpen and to, 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 to pull in relevant uh, sources to, 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 to better express or to otherwise express your ideas. So that's, that's very good. So review for you really helped. Um, so, so sacred groves. So, so moving on to to the case itself. So, in the paper, you you compare three sacred uh, groves locations in two states in, in Nigeria. So, what do we need to know about these cases before we move on to talk about the actual research? There, there is a definition in your uh, in your paper. Uh, it, uh, so, sacred groves refer to land or bodies of water that have special spiritual significance to people and communities. That's 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 easy enough. But but can I invite you to take us to a sacred grove? What what would we see? What would we smell? What would we feel? What does the landscape, the vegetation look like? Are there animals, cattle maybe? Do we see people anywhere? 
are there signs of human settlement? You just mentioned the 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 the, the importance of of people actually using the 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 growth for 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 several purposes. Are there, can you briefly paint that picture for us, all of us who who have no clear idea of what a sacred growth is or looks like? Can 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 you can you do that for us, uh, Sam? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the question. In the case of sacred groups in Nigeria and in the context of the three sacred groups that I, I researched in in Southwest Nigeria, they have a very distinct um, you know characteristics in terms of the, the natural landscape itself. Uh, the first group that I uh, researched, researched in Southwest Nigeria, the uh, Shunshuku Sacred Group, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, this is a group that you know is emerged um, in you know landscape of forests, forests that have been preserved uh, for for many years. And within this forest, we have a stream or a river that flows all almost across through the forest, and it's this the river itself. Is the goddess that is being worshipped. That's what one of the things that makes the group the group. Mm-hmm. Without the river, there is, so to speak, no group. So um, in in this case, the river is the major attraction. It's what makes the group the group. And and there are also other you know um, animal species in the group. We talked about the, the different type of monkeys. Some of these monkeys are endangered, which have been preserved because of this group, uh, because of the customary um, norms and taboos that are being used to preserve um, that guides against killing any of these monkeys because they are seen as totem to the gods. That is, these monkeys in some ways, and even the trees within the group are seen as children to the goddess. Uh, and that, you know, deters people from actually, you know, desecrating or um, encroaching on the group. So that's the first group, the UNESCO World Heritage Site group of, you know, Shonshugo. Ocean State, Nigeria, but also we moved um, to another state in in Southwest Nigeria, Ondo State, where we have the Idore Hills. So Idore Hills is also unique in the sense that it has, so to speak, a different feel in terms of the natural landscape. Mm-hmm. So it has different hilly terrains. It's you know very massive hills. Uh, where in, in previous years, you know, many 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 years ago, people used to live on these hills, and it was during then that you know people said too they had almost their own kind of civilization in those days on the hills but at some point they descended down the hill but they still kept you know relationship with the hills the hills itself is seen as you know the attraction it's the hills that is called the groups and so people still go there for you know burial rites where the the, the kings uh, are buried people the, the, the traditional chiefs go there for prayers uh, within some of the structures that are see currently uh, uh, on the hill, so that in itself takes it away from you know Oshunshubu, which is more of like more of the, the river and the forest mm-hmm. and the animals. But here we have you no know, eels as well as you know forestry, definitely. But the unique um, animal species in this contest is the bat, yeah. which you know we talked about extensively within our research about yeah. the, the annual bat festival called Uche. Uh, the festival itself, you know, celebrated, I think, twice a year where young men within the community goes into the caves in the hill to, to kill this bat. Yep. And I, I think, you know, when we talk about diversity, people say, okay, we are talking about diversity, but we are talking about people going into the hills to kill the bat. Uh, but we also, you know, gave some context about, even though this practice has been going on for many years, there is no proof that, you know, these two-year visits 
um, to the to the caves to kill the bats has had any major impact on the bat population uh, within that landscape. Yeah. And you know, in some ways, the the local knowledge, the traditional ecological knowledge, has been so to speak used to ensure there is somewhat balance. And and that you know, festival in itself contributes to the, the, the cultural side of of things in terms of the prayers that are used uh, are made through. Uh, some of the bats that were caught, but also some of these young men also sell the the, the bats that were killed within the community. And no. you know, I was during my research, I was on the ground during this festival, and you could see um, the joy and you know the, the the liveliness within within the town, within the community, when young men come back with you know bats, and you know people are interested to sell, and you know a lot of explanation about how it went and stuff like that. Uh, so that's the second side where I worked, and the third one is a more you know, local cultural site called Igbo Dumare, still in Ondo State, Nigeria. And um, this site also has a combination of fields as well as forests. Um, it first gained prominence based on um, a novel uh, written by Dio Fagmua, who was the first and the pioneer of Yoruba literature in Nigeria. So he wrote this literature about that grove as at that time, and that you know gave. Um, um, that particular group, the status it, it has today in Nigeria about you know this mystique uh, kind of um, landscape where we have different sculptures, we have different you know hilly terrains and different kind of mystical things that go on within that um, forest on uh, sale. So I hope I'm able, I've been able to like, yeah. in some ways paint the picture about. The uniqueness of these um, three landscapes. Yeah, thank you very much for taking us there, so to say. We we have a glimpse of what uh, what it must be like. I'm 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 going to 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 switch over to and and move on to your actual research. So so you provide a rather detailed account of the benefits that the users of these groves, these sacred groves, uh, recognize and and appreciate, and and these includes a range of sp spiritual uh, economic benefits. Uh, in the second part of your results chapter, you speak about what you call the collaborative management of sacred spaces by, by both government institutions and local communities. So sacred groves are apparently not purely self-governed by communities. Federal and, and, and government levels are part of the institutional arrangement uh, in place to govern these sacred uh, grove commons. So can you give us some examples of the specifics of such collaborative management arrangements? Who are the partners? What are their respective roles? What are the rules, both formal and informal, that, that do apply? Can you elaborate on, on that a little bit, uh, Sam? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question, Frank. Uh, the, the first group, which is Ocean Shubu Secure Group, uh, is sort of the group that is, so to speak, all encompassing. So it, it adds some form of you know, international recognition. And one of the things we wanted to see was the impact of UNESCO designation on the site, uh, because prior to that, this group had already been a national monument. So the, the, it has it already had a protected status given to it by the uh, Nigerian government. But also on top of that protected status, we have the UNESCO designation, which you know adds another form of layer of you know international recognition, and we see a different kind of work. Our partnership between the, the federal government of Nigeria and UNESCO in terms of you know managing managing the site, um, different kind of you know ecological work that is being done within the site, either 
to you know have an estimate of you know the animal species and the tree species and ongoing maintenance of some of the um, sculptures within the group as well. So those are some of um, the ways you know the UNESCO designation in some ways impact or um, influence uh, the protection of the site, the conservation of the site itself. But also the the traditional authority, the customary um, right, also um, together with um, the the chiefs or priestess of the group, um, you know, also have influence because they go to this place um, frequently for for worship, um, almost you know probably on a daily basis. But also the major event, uh, the Oshunshuku Festival, which is a national or international um, festival as. Uh, depending on how you see it, we have people um, of the Yoruba ancestry come from all over the world mm-hmm. uh, to celebrate um, the Oshun goddess. And it's become, you know, an international festival where a lot of, you know, private organizations are now collaborating or, you know, funding some of the activities during the, 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 the 12 days or 14 days long festival. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, traditional rites that have been done during this festival. And that in itself contributes to the you know ongoing patronage of, of the site itself, both uh, for cultural reasons, uh, spiritual reasons, but also uh, for you know touristic reasons as well. So Oshunshubo yeah. in itself presents a unique case where we have the, the, so to speak the three layers of governance. We have international uh, sort of framework that you know guides the management, but also the national framework as well as customary. Uh, um, governance and norms and institutions that have a stake in in the management of the group. Okay, can I? If, so, what what I find intriguing in in your uh, rendition in your report is uh, is your observation that collaborative management arrangements with roles for the administration and for communities and also international entities can sometimes be a threat to sacred groves because mistrust and and conflict over management rights leads to a serious, a seemingly serious erosion of the sense of ownership among communities and to the rejection of, of government-imposed uh, rules or, or laws, actually. And I was wondering, could you tell me a little bit more about such sentiments and the effects that they are having? I, I find that an intriguing part of your, uh, of your analysis. Yeah, so I, I think um, in some ways they are kind of missed perspective um, within the participant of our research. Uh, why some believe, you know, with the UNESCO designation, um, this site, quote-unquote, does no longer belongs to them. It's now, you know, in the way they respond to our questions, the UNESCO site, not, not our, our site, our secret site. So in, in some ways, um, you know, the, the, the perspective about ownership may have changed in some ways. Uh, but also, I believe it, it, just like you mentioned, and the paper says that it has its merit and demerit in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, um, there have been conflicts between you know, national government as well as the traditional authorities about you know, who collects um, the entrance fees from you know, tourists to the site. Is it, is, should it be paid to the traditional authority or should it go to, to the federal government of Nigeria? And, you know, other conflict revolves around, you know, some of the people who uh, perform um, cultural rights within these groups. And, you know, in many of the, the, the 
religious practices, secrecy is very important. Some of these cultural rights are not, you know, done in the open where thousands of people are, you know, eligible to see some of these rights being done. But with the influx of, you know, tourists, due in, in some parts to, you know, this international recognition that the site now has, some of the people who participate in this, you know, local cultural um, rituals are saying, no, we do not enjoy or benefit this secrecy. Again, this secrecy we used to benefit, you know, years ago, where we could, you know, do some of this right without you know, people, thousands of people seeing. But due to um, um, this, you know, influx of tourists, we do not enjoy this again. But mm -hmm. on the other end, people also benefit from this influx of tourists um, from all over the world. Because when tourists come in, into a state or into a particular location, they need to, to eat food, they need to drink, they need, you know, accommodation, you know, tour guides, benefits, and even the, the interaction between, you know, these tourists from, be it local tourists within Nigeria or even international tourists, this form of, you know, engagement and interaction in some ways serve as some form of education for people who may not have interacted with people from other parts of Nigeria or from outside Nigeria before. But this sort of, you know, festivals or this site itself facilitate those sort of interaction. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's finding the sweet spot of, you know, balancing community um, interests as well as the international recognition that, um, that the site itself has gained. Uh, so one of the, the quotes from our paper um, says that the challenge remains to balance the good intentions of the state with the needs of the local community in historical community identity and spiritual terms. And that's Ogundi around 2014 that we quoted page 177. Yeah. yeah, so that's really the dilemma here to, to balance community uh, interests and perspective with what the state itself wants. That's where the challenge lies. Yeah, that's great. That has me uh, thinking of, uh, of, of, of the the, the 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 yeah the sweet spot finding the sweet spot uh, as you, as you called it uh, the, the the balancing act that uh, that that uh, actors in, in in the governance of sacred groves must engage in so so i i always end with a, a so what question it's the deadliest of questions for a researcher i i i tend to end my uh, my podcast conversations with authors in that way uh, the, the impact of, of your findings what can commoners so not academics Learn from what you have studied and found. If if you are in one form or the other involved with sacred groves, you want to preserve them for religious, for spiritual, for socio-economic, um, uh, but also for biodiversity purposes. What can you take away from the study that you have engaged in? What would you give to to someone like that? Yeah, I think um, religion is very important um, in Nigeria, which we talked about also extensively in the paper with the advent of you know Christianity and Islam in some of these terrains, and you know some persons are uh, discouraged uh, based on their faith, new faith affiliations as Christians or Muslim um, to participate in this festival, and even in respecting the norms uh, of oh, do not you know kill this um, animal because you know there is a there's a consequence from the goddess. Some persons do not believe that exists again. Uh, so I think it's also, you know, probably most likely from the government, they finding this, you know, almost in all of these faiths, Christianity or Islam, there is recognition of, um, you know, nature as being God's creation. 
So if we present these groups to people of this, you know, two faiths, which are the dominant religions in Nigeria and in, in, that, in that particular site as well, um, you know, that creates an impression of, you no. Know, also within our faith, within our own holy test, there are things that, you know, accommodates or prescribes the need to manage, um, you know, biodiversity. Uh, might not be written exactly that way, but there are, you know, hints within those tests that su suggest that. So, uh, um, because, you know, the church or, you know, religious organizations have lots of, you know, influence within the society and they have, you know, lands as well. Uh, so, because one of the things we're also recommending within our paper is the government itself can also, you know, engage this, you know, sacred group that are scattered across Nigeria uh, and include that in their biodiversity um, contribution under, you know, the international framework as well. And another thing is due to, you know, dwindling um, cultural um, knowledge, there needs to be more engagement whereby, you know, elders need to pass um, down this knowledge to, to younger people, you know, find ways to make the culture uh, more acceptable uh, to people who might be more inclined to, you know, civilization in some ways, make it more accessible. Um, to, to, to such people. And I think maybe that's where the, um, the, the festival itself comes in, in because there's a lot of things that have been included, um, the carnivals and other things that have been included within the festival, which may in some ways you know, encourage younger people uh, to continue to participate in finding ways to um, conserve uh, the groups itself. Yeah, great, clear. Uh, yeah, and this is what makes your work important, I think, the, the, the consequences, the impact that it can have on actual commoners. I, I think with, with this, we, we come to an end of our, of our, of our dialogue, of our talk, uh, of the show. Uh, Sam, uh, thank you for, for joining me all the way from, uh, from Canada. It, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you and to learn a little bit more about you and your work on sacred groves. From a commons perspective, I invite all the listeners to take a closer and more detailed look at the actual paper, and I can assure you that you will uh, enjoy it. Uh, Sam, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. This was another episode of the journal episode series of the In Common podcast. We produce these episodes for students of the commons, ranging from seasoned scholars to early career and wannabe researchers, to offer them a peek behind the scenes of research, to allow them to appreciate both the nitty gritty, but also the messy reality that you don't usually get to see in the published version of a paper. We also make these episodes for commoners and practitioners that may not have the time, the patience or the stomach to work themselves through 20 pages worth of dense jargon-laden research papers. And of course we make these episodes for you. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed it. You can find more episodes as well as our blog on the website incommonpodcast.org. The article that we discussed today can be found and also downloaded for free at thecommonsjournal.org, our community-owned and operated open access platform for high-quality peer-reviewed commons research content. In Common is the official podcast of the International Association for the Study of the Commons. <laughs>